listeners, welcome to Biz Culture Matters on Clay 1180 AM. This is your host, Zach Gandra, and I am with the inimitable Steve Gandra as well. How are you doing, Steve? Did you, you were supposed to look up the definition of that word. Inimitable. In, I know, I know what it means. It means uh, you can't copy it. Like, you are the one and only, the master of disaster, the <laughs> of the universe, I, the... Uh, we need to move on. The the business guru of receding hairlines. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. So anyways, um, we're excited. We have a great guest on the show. Before we get to the guest, um, I got to be part of the strategic thinking workshop with Coast Real Estate here in Washington State, one of our uh, wonderful family of clients. And uh, that was an enjoyable experience. Steve. Yeah, the Coast organization, great property management firm you know, 500 people and just growing like crazy, grew like crazy all through the recession. Great company, great culture, um, and a lot of awesome people. So uh, we've had a lot of fun working with those guys. Our guest today is going to talk a lot about uh, change management and the change process and changing cultures. And uh, those guys are growing so fast, they're just going through tons of change. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, I think over, they're in phase three of the process. How long have they been a client? Uh, just about a year, since last December. Oh, so wow. So they've moved really pretty rocking. quickly through yeah, it. They're rocking along. It was interesting to see, even over the last two months, as we've done uh, two strategic thinking workshops with them, uh, how quickly even noticeably changing the team dynamic with them and uh, really the humility of those leaders. Uh, Good people. Tom, yeah. Tom and Sean... Uh, Tom and Sean Hoban. You want to yeah. listen to uh, Sean's podcast, excellentcultures.com slash podcasts. Uh, we had Sean Hoban on a few shows back, and he did a wonderful job of laying out some real-world examples of how they built an, an awesome culture right. in a very competitive business. Yeah. So it's it's exciting. It's exciting to see stuff uh, rolling and happening. Uh, Toyota, Toyota Motor, what are we, to, TMS USA, right? Yeah, Toyota Motor Sales USA down in Torrance, California. And uh, we got to interview one of their guys, Liz Gonzalez. Well, we actually interviewed their Did we interview two? VP. Yeah, Jack oh, Hollis, that's right. their Jack VP, Hollis and then and, Liz uh, Gonzalez, who is a member of our Women Leaders That Rock yeah. uh, podcast group. Just an awesome, you know, woman leader from um, California. Yeah, she is legit. I, I'm highly going to rec- recommend that you guys go back to excellentcultures.com slash podcast and look for Liz Gonzalez because she broke down uh how to break down the corporate the corporate mindset and uh really spoke transparently for someone that works at Toyota a huge corporate company. Yeah, she's really good at yeah. uh, at at deciphering sneaky corporate politics and turning it into high performance culture. Absolutely. It was good 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 stuff. So why don't you we have a, a doctor on the show yep, today. Yeah, Dr. Bruce Avoli. Not a medical doctor. No, he's a, he's a brain doctor. Just, you know, a brain surgeon? No, not a brain surgeon. I thought he surgeon. was a business guy. <clears throat> not a brain surgeon. <laughs> uh, Bruce is probably the foremost quoted academic in the world on the subject of uh, transformational leadership and uh, just a brilliant guy. Uh, Going to share with us today lots of insightful um, outcomes and insightful ideas and thoughts on the research work that he's doing here at the uh, University of Washington Foster School of Business. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and happens happens to be a great guy. Uh, we won't hold the fact, uh, hold it against, hold the fact that he came from Nebraska before he joined the University of Washington against him. Yeah, Because, right. you know, those are good guys up there. They Warren, are. Warren Buffett and his guys are good guys. They are. Well, uh, let's welcome him to the show. Welcome, Dr. Avolio. Well, <clears throat> thanks, Zach. I'm, I'm happy to be here. And Steve as well. Are you okay with Steve talking trash about uh, where you've been from? 
Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> we can cover that later <clears throat> in the program. <laughs> you know, that, that comes under the subject of transparent cultures. Yeah, yeah, there you go. There you go. Well, see, it defines the difference. See, Nebraskans don't talk trash. So You're right. Uh, they don't. They don't. Difference there you there. go. Well, they, we kind of, I mean, when you're dealing with a gandra, you've got o- University of Oklahoma background. Yeah, I'm. I'm sorry. It's the it's the red, big red south of Nebraska That's that right. keeps coming out. Of Steve's me. a boomer sooner, and so uh, you just can't like Nebraska or Texas for that matter. Yeah. If you're a boomer sooner. But we love the Huskies. Yeah, we are, we enjoy the Huskies. So Bruce, tell us tell every, tell us about your work at the Foster School. I mean, I was just uh, you know amazed amazed and excited about uh, amazed is not a word amazed and excited about uh, hearing about the work that you're doing was. Um, Really excited about the you know business case studies transformed into gamification that you're working on, uh, you know all of the the data that you've gathered on the subject of of culture and changing cultures and why cultures uh, culture changes don't work. Uh, you know tell tell our listeners about about the body of work that you're busy working on there at the Foster School. Okay, let me give you and and you guys interrupt yeah. You know. Um, as I'm going along here, if you want me to, uh, uh, for clarification, I know we're going to get to some Q&A as well. Uh, so I arrived here <clears throat> about four and a half years ago, and uh, I'm in the Foster School of Business, and there's a center that started up called the Center for Leadership and Strategic Thinking uh, when I arrived. And the focus that we're taking here, one is that the Foster School has what it calls kind of pillars of strength, one of which is leadership and strategic thinking. And so if you talk to faculty around the school, teaching courses in finance and accounting, um, you know, every quarter uh, people ask them, hey, what, what are you doing in your class that kind of reinforce leadership and strategic thinking? So it's not just about what I might do in a class on leadership, but what we're doing across the school. And the center is uh, focused both internally and a lot externally. So... Uh, the mission of the center is to bring um, well, two important words, rigor and relevance. Um, you know, rigor in the sense that we want to know what moves people along in terms of developing them to be more effective and not only move them along but accelerate that movement. Uh, everybody wants something done more quickly, less time, uh, you know, le- less resources, higher impact, higher quality, right, the, you know, the magic five. Um, and we're trying to look at that and say, what are the things that we could do to accelerate the development of leaders, leaders and leadership um, that, that represent the kind of strategic thinking uh, that's foundational, um, I think, for organizations being successful, not only at what they do, but when they have to change what they do. Um, so the center is, uh, internally, we do quite a bit of work with uh, students and faculty, uh, right now, in fact, this week we're we're supporting a case competition. Uh, it's a case that we've developed um, uh, working with Alaska Airlines that that uh, Steve kind of inferred. It, it's part of this gamification process, or we're developing a case, but we're turning the case into a game so that people can interact. And and so that's one of the initiatives we've got underway. Uh, we do a lot of work with the leaders <clears throat> in our our programs uh, to try to help tool them up. Uh, to work with people within the school so that we're taking that pillar and, you know, kind of putting it out there in terms of the activities, the associations, the volunteer groups. Uh, So in some sense, we're sort of an internal agency to work with folks. We do that also uh, around the campus. We're working with other programs 
Uh, we've done some work with the law school on, on assessing leadership. We've done some work uh, with UW Healthcare System. So you're having lawyers assess leadership? That's scary. Um, <laughs> yeah. Honestly, too. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we're a different law school here. Yeah, okay, yeah. good. That's good. Uh, yeah. And, you know, so we're working with a variety of groups. In fact, I see the university uh, probably over the next few years really uh, coalescing around how do we create an experience here that really represents uh, what is UW's unique kind of leadership experience it delivers uh, to, to its students coming through undergrad, graduate programs. Externally, we're involved in lots of projects. So in the last four and a half years uh, since I've come here, we're working, and, and for me, that's, that's our lab. So um, we're doing projects in the field that I think are very rigorous, uh, looking at uh, what kinds of leadership really move organizations to be successful, and at the same time, uh, relevant, again, those two words, relevant in the sense that people are participating in different kinds of experiences that we think are, is going to help accelerate their leadership development and facilitate you know, the topic probably to, to, of today, change and transformation. Um, so we're involved in projects. We, we actually studied uh, over a several-year period uh, leadership and health, large healthcare system transformation, and we're hoping to work towards some gamification there. We also did some work, uh, which is really unique, um, and I've been doing a lot of work over the years with the U.S. military and others around the world, all of our friends, by the way. Um, and what we've been doing is, you know, taking a look in this most recent work is uh, how do people perform in extreme situations? I mean, we've been around for 225-plus years, mm. but no one's really studied what happens when things really get crazy. Yeah. Um, and so we've done, uh, with colleagues around the country, I think some of the most definitive work on uh, how do people perform in those contexts where there uh, is extreme situations and kind of working in that area. addition, you know, we're doing some work um, around innovative cultures and transformation with some, some of the local organizations here. Uh, how do you build a sustainable, innovative culture uh, so that when you have to keep changing, it happens? It's part of kind of the ethos and culture of the organization. So we have a variety of projects. Um, there are doctoral students and faculty and people in the center that I work. Um, a lot of them have uh, extensive corporate experience, um, lived abroad, worked in major corporations. So we're kind of a mix. We're not a typical, we're not a research lab, nor are we a training program. So we're kind of a combination of a variety of different things, which is kind of where leadership shows up, right? Right. Anyhow. Probably enough on who we well, are. Well, one of the things that I want to ask you to speak to after our first break is what I was so impressed with when I first met you and, and learned about the work that you're doing is that very thing that you just identified, the mix. Uh, there's a lot of, you know, when, when we talk to business leaders around the world and C-suite executives, um, they're not that interested in, you know, anything that sounds academic because they feel like, well, that's academic and we're in the real world. Yeah. And um, yet you guys uh, are all about, you know, um, you know, waist deep in the real world of what's going on in corporations and doing projects for corporations. I know you mentioned the Alaska Airlines project, but, you know, lots of other, you know, uh, big name corporate brands that uh, you guys are working with to help, you know, uh, learn the next level of how do we maximize effectiveness? How do we maximize leadership success? How do we maximize high performance culture? and um, doing it with a, a, a high degree of scientific academic rigor, 
but a real-world application so that it's not about textbooks. It's about, you know, what's going on in the real world of leading people and uh, uh, a P&L and, and making things happen in a sustainable business environment. we got to go to a break, guys. But, I, Steve, I want you to lead us in as we get back from the break on exactly where you guys were leading that conversation about that culture. We'll be right back. Hey, connect with us. Ask the experts at excellentcultures.com. And if you have any questions for Dr. Avolio, you can email us right there. Ask the experts at excellentcultures.com. We'll be right back. Remember Ross Perot, the Texas millionaire who ran for president in the early 90s? Did you realize that he's built multiple companies that sold for billions? Each of his companies held a strong values-based culture. We interviewed his CFO and COO. His insightful comments on the role of culture in business are posted on the Culture News blog at excellentcultures.com. Take a look. You'll gain wonderful insights to building your own excellent cultures on excellentcultures.com. You can also follow us at XLNT Cultures or Facebook slash Excellent Cultures. Off-the-cuff management is old school at the very least. With culture at the root of every business problem or success, data-driven strategic leadership is where today's best businesses are focused. No one knows that better than Excellent Cultures. After 35 years, they are the Northwest's premier strategic leadership firm. Excellent Cultures has the expertise to read the soul of your business and generate abundance. Take the free BizCulture MRI or ask the experts at excellentcultures.com. As an executive, CEO, or business owner, do you find yourself struggling with work-life balance and achieving your goals at work and home? Are you overwhelmed in your workload and feel important things aren't getting done? Our coaches specialize in helping leaders like you overcome challenges and build a plan to recenter their life, to achieve the balance and success you've always hoped for in your business and your personal life. Ask the experts at Excellent Cultures about the right plan for you. Biz Culture Matters with Dr. Bruce Avolio of the Foster School of Business. Before the break, we were talking to Dr. Avolio about the very effective blend of academic rigor and research and real-world business application, especially in the field of trans- the fa- transformation as it applies to leadership. And uh, he was telling us about you know so many of the programs that they have going on. Bruce, can you speak to this? You know, you mentioned, you know, the, the big C word keeps coming up, change. Can you speak to the subject of why so many organizational change initiatives fail and what you've discovered both in your research and your experience working with, you know, corporations who are implementing change? Can I, uh, um, let me add to the to the discussion of change, because sometimes it gets abstract if we talk about just organizations. But let's include, you know, individuals uh, in that and, and, and small groups, and then we can get to, you know, all the way up to okay. the organization. So human beings all the way to larger organizations. Yeah, and, you know, of course, organizations are comprised of human beings that are being asked to, to change in a direction uh, that might be difficult, challenging, or misunderstood, or just fits in with a hundred other things they're being asked to do. Um, but if I start, you know, if I start at the, you know, the individual level, um, 
you know, that we, we know there are certain things that help people to to kind of get their head around uh, what it means to change, and 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 one of those things is really understanding where they're at. You know, it's kind of the starting point. And so, if you look at a lot of organizations that are trying to change, and you take that example, the individual, and you say, well, where where is the organization currently right now? Um, a lot of times, what we find is that the organization doesn't have a good sense of even the starting point uh, because there's a lot of conflicting information about who's doing what and, and what initiatives are underway. And so one of the first things is is you've got to kind of establish, you know, what, what um, uh, you know, the, the term is ground truth. I mean, th- there's truth somewhere, but ground truth is what we understand uh, is the, the place where we're at. And, you know, one of the things that we find, you go into an organization, you say, okay, I heard you guys are working on this initiative. And they'll say, what's the name of that initiative again? And I'll say, well, you call it, you know, X, Y, Z. And then I'll say, well, when did that initiative start? And a lot of times you'll get responses, well, you know, um, you know, about a year ago we started. And some will say, you know, it hasn't really even started yet. Um, we're we're just in the in the process, I think, of getting it off the ground uh, and you have everything in between. And so, like the individual, it's kind of like, where are you? Where are you starting from? I mean, what's, what's your base? And then how are you going to change from that base um, to what's the next kind of milestone or level you're going to? But if you don't know where you're starting, then you've got a whole lot of blur around awareness. And and we find that uh, is, is, is frequently happening in organizations that are kind of spiraling, uh, not up but down in terms of these change efforts. So I was uh, visiting yesterday with uh, with an executive of a uh, large Fortune 50 firm, global firm in the retail business. Uh, can't talk about who it was just yet, but they're in the process of evaluating where they've been, where they're going, and you know, looking at the next t- 10 years – just massive change initiatives, changing everything from what's happening at the point of sale all the way to the corporate infrastructure. Don't even know how many change initiatives they're looking at yet, but they know that the one one thing that's in common is they're going to be asking their people to change, 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 and change some more for the next 10 years just to continue to grow at the pace that they've grown in the past. So, Bruce, what advice would you have along the lines of this, you know, take the fuzziness out of it, um, uh, perspective for an organization like that? What should um, they do? The advice <clears throat> I learned from Captain James T. Kirk of the Starship yes. Enterprise. We love, we love Star Trek. <laughs> <laughs> and this isn't the price.line.com guy. It was when he was the original Captain Kirk. It was and you before might, Denny Crane. It, before Denny Crane. <laughs> um, but you will remember that there was a prime directive and the prime directive, actually, in the recent Star Trek movie, they they revisited that, and, and I think a really profound way. But the prime directive was, you know, to kind of boldly go out there, but not intervene in other cultures. In other words, go observe, go understand, but don't go in there and do regime change. And if you think about that, and you ask yourself that Fortune 50 uh, retail organization, what's your prime directive? And how are you going to attach the things you're asking people to do so that you get to where you need to be in the next stage, next stage, and next stage? And frankly, that's what I find oftentimes missing. There's no 
profound prime directive that people can attach this to to make meaning out of it. Because what happens is people are trying to say, how do I make meaning out of this thing you're asking me to do? Okay, I know I have to change. We, we all change. We evolve over time. It, it's, it's, it's the course of you know, the human species, and it's true with organizations. But for what am I, why am I doing this? And how does it relate to all those things that kind of relate to that, that you know, called a prime directive? And once you have that, it provides a sense of clarity and meaning that, frankly, is typically missing in a lot of organizational change efforts, particularly the 70% plus that fail. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's great advice. So, what are, you know, once we get this prime directive defined and established, what are some of the other key contributing factors? Um, organizations, complex organizations, uh, can only handle a handful of initiatives that are major strategic change initiatives. Um, it, it, they just can't. They can't have seven or eight things going on that's distracting everyone's attention. Now, they could have lots of initiatives across the organization. I'm talking about the major changes that I think you're inferring that these organizations have to continually go to go through uh, to remain competitive. And so how do you tie a few initiatives to the overall directive and stop and just say, let's get these things right. Let's, let's make sure we stay focused on these things. So there's, there's an initiative blur. Of course, that leads to the flavor of the month. That leads to cynicism. It leads to a lack of trust. It leads to people saying, I don't really know where we're going, and neither do they. And then they throw another initiative, or re, even worse, a reorg. Yeah. Uh, which, in my view, yeah. is is an excuse for not knowing which direction you're going in. Yeah, yeah. So we get the clear focus. Then we want to boil down the initiatives to something that is really significant and salient, and do the most important ones first. And you know, try to what what's a good round number of what's too many versus just enough? Three, three. Okay, so so the big three. The big three, and what you then need to really do is you have to over communicate in every way possible you have to collect stories that re- represent what you see the future as emerging um, or stories that don't represent the future but you want to use them for learning experiences uh, to kind of move people towards towards the future um, and the other thing is uh, I'll ask you guys this um, what organization does internal marketing as well as we see on Super Bowl Sunday, the marketing that gets done on the best commercials? Yeah, it seems that it's the cobbler's kids get their shoes last concept, right? Right. That, um, you know, organizations that do phenomenal external marketing uh, spend so much time and effort and energy communicating to their customers that they forget all about the fact that their 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 internal customer or the people that have to serve that customer, and uh, that's where we miss the mark. Great example. I think we miss it. I think we should have uh, what is it a Peabody Award for internal marketing, uh, so that we actually recognize that this can't be done by somebody in a function that has no marketing experience, but is being asked to communicate the message. And I I think that's one of the critical factors that results in failure is that. Um, you know, marketing gets us to identify with 
drinking. I'm sitting here drinking uh, Coca Cola here, and I get I you know I'm not going to drink Pepsi. I'm this isn't a commercial, <laughs> you know, unless you I'm, have to. <laughs> well, if the machine had it downstairs, I would have. But you right. know, uh, the point is, you come to identify with colored water here, whereas these are important things in the organization, and yet we're not marketing them very well right. um, at all. And I don't want to blame like particular functions. I think that there isn't uh, proper attention. Uh, and proper resources to this. I think that's a critical factor. I think the, I think the way that Dr. Avolio here has worded that has been one of the best ways we've had it worded by any of our guests. Like, we've had some guests talk about this, but the understanding of, we all understand external marketing, but to understand how important the internal marketing is is a pretty big deal. That's a I, really, really big deal. I asked this one healthcare system, it's not in this area. A few years back, I said, how are you all marketing this? This is a major thing. How are you marketing And one guy said, well, we, we put a, a memo on the back of all the stalls in the bathrooms because we're sure people will see it there. Oh, man. So that's marketing. Yeah. Wow. <clears throat> we, got, uh, we got a couple minutes here, but we, I, can we get some specific examples before we go to the next break, Dr. Volio, of ways you think people can, we can internally market? Other than behind the bathroom stall, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Give us give us two or three ideas that you've seen or happen in organizations that you've worked with that really did it right, as opposed to missing the mark, like yeah. most most do. Well, I, I think it, it goes back to there's a few things uh, that come to mind. One is there's um, the most powerful thing throughout you know human history um, since we could communicate with each other has been the story. You know, philosophy, religion, um, what you buy at 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 a, at a bookstore before you get on a plane. Um, it, it's all about the story. And so stories really matter. And having those stories um, get out and, and be communicated is really probably one of the most powerful ways of marketing uh, these kinds of initiatives. The other is um, who is telling the story. So, you know, getting people who are respected. Uh, that people trust, um, that, that that they would go to mm. is another. Uh, you know, the third is is now, you know, sort of using technology to our advantage. And I haven't seen this done as well as I think it could be. Um, but there's lots of ways that we could get people engaged in the discussion of a change initiative or marketing of it through the kind of technology that we have available, whether it's, you know, someone blogging, internally within the organization. Oftentimes we have the bloggers who are negative about the organization, causing mm. all sorts of mayhem. Right. But what about the blogger who is really, you know, a positive force uh, that's creating, you know, some sense of, uh, you know, focus around these. And, and the other we'll talk about is gamification. Uh, I don't know why organizations don't try to gamify something before they actually spend millions on trying to change. Yeah. Uh, why, not, why not play it before you pay for it? Right. I mean, we put... We put uh, astronauts in flight simulators. We put our military through simulations. Right. You right. Know, that's that's a huge point. We got to go to to sure. our break, unfortunately. But hey, we're list- you're listening to Biz Culture Matters on Clay 1180. We have Dr. Bruce Abolio from the University of Washington Foster School of Business. And don't forget, you're listening on Clay 1180. We'll be right back. ExcellentCultures.com is always interviewing leaders committed to cultural leadership, excellence, and change. These leaders, like Russell Freeman, Ross Perot's COO, 
and Bob Hinton, CPA and Moss Adams managing partner, have world-class ideas. As advocates for creating a strong corporate culture that builds people and serves customers with excellence, they share breakthrough business ideas. Gain insights from Russell, Bob, and others on the Culture News blog at excellentcultures.com. Off-the-cuff management is old school at the very least. With culture at the root of every business problem or success, data-driven strategic leadership is where today's best businesses are focused. No one knows that better than Excellent Cultures. After 35 years, they are the Northwest's premier strategic leadership firm. Excellent Cultures has the expertise to read the soul of your business and generate abundance. Take the free BizCulture MRI or ask the experts at excellentcultures.com. Has business taken over your life? Are you living to work or working to live? Stress, broken marriages, neglected relationships, and poor health are symptoms of a life out of balance. The right coaching plan can have transformational impact on the quality of your performance at work, depth of relationships at home, and personal sense of well-being. Ask the experts at Excellent Cultures how coaching can help you maximize your life and optimize your work. Stop struggling to survive. Ask the experts at Excellent Cultures how coaching can help you maximize your life and optimize your work. So we're back with Biz Culture Matters on Clay 1180 with Dr. Bruce Abolio of the Foster School of Business. Uh, Bruce, before the break, you were talking about uh, gamification as a tool or technique uh, to help implement slash market internal change initiatives. Um, you know, and, and as you as you know, uh, we're pretty excited about the work you're doing along those lines, and especially with your pilot case with Alaska Airlines and the wheels up game that uh, you and your uh, graduate leadership team there at the Foster School have created. Can, can you give us a few examples of how an organization might deploy gamification and even you know share some of what you've done with the Alaska Airlines game to not just develop you know your students by giving them real world experiences in a interactive gamification sort of way, but actually you know help organizations deal with those kind of changes? So, uh, you know, start with something very pragmatic. You know, 70% of the people out there in our, in our country um, play games, some form of game. Um, so you've got, a, you got a, a large group of people that you can connect to, um, and that's in you know, many of our organizations. Um, so let me, let, me, um, let me describe, like, the, you know, s- several steps, and it goes back to something I said before the break that why do organizations oftentimes kind of derail and change initiatives is that they're not aware of where, they've sta- where they're starting. Um, they have a sense um, that they're ready to go, and, and, and what we find is that's just not the case. Um, and so what the, the first step is us going in and kind of getting data and information on the readiness of the organization to actually change the thing they want to change, whatever that is. And so we collect information data as if you would if you were building a business case. So you're going in there and you're talking with people, you're gathering information and data. Um, we, we use cert, um, surveys we've developed, other people have done, that are, are, are rigorously validated. And we find out how ready are you to actually implement this. So that's the case. So we want to find out how ready the people are, you know, once we've defined this big, clear vision of where we're going, right. we want to define, find out with data, not just subjective conversation, but with data, how if 
how ready the people are to implement or embrace the change. Is that what you're saying? That's exactly right. And since you brought up Nebraska, I'll use that as an example. Um, and the Huskers, when they went to a California offense uh, with Coach uh, Callahan, who came from the NFL, uh, they had a couple of months. I mean, Nebraska was not a, a you know it was uh, a, 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 an offensive team that 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 didn't play California you know no huddle offense. And so within three months, they were supposed to learn this, and there was a lot of resistance at all levels to it. But anyhow, first game they came out. And um, they looked absolutely foolish because they weren't ready and they didn't believe it was the direction they should go. And by the way, the fans felt the same way as, as, as the team did. So if you know that, you say, okay, they're not ready. How do I get them ready? How do I get them to believe in this? And this is what you typically find in a lot of organizations. They are not ready. How? They don't feel safe to speak up. So if you're changing, you're going to make some mistakes. And if people don't feel uh, safe to speak up or if it's not transparent or if they don't have an emotional commitment like the Huskers did to California offense, it's not going to work. And so you spend a whole lot of money, and now people are getting nervous and upset. And so you, you double down. You say, okay, now we really have to kind of push this thing. And it starts to spiral. And so that's the first step. Second step is you take that data and say, why don't we just take the data where you are in terms of readiness, and let's build a game from that case. And so the game could be, we need to change to move the organization to be more customer-driven, to make the experience of the customer the very best in the industry. To do that requires that people really need to work together, work across boundaries, all that sort of stuff, be engaged. And you have that data, you know where they're at, so you, you create a game, such that you you don't work across boundaries. So in the game, I'm not going to let you access information and resources across boundaries, whatever the game is. Now they're going, well, wait a minute. You know, how do we play this game when we can't access the resources? We've got to figure out what's the clues in terms of this journey. And so like any game, you know, you have this you know, journey you're on. There's some mystery to it. You don't have all the data. And by the way, all of that can be created from that case data that we um, gathered. And so we create that, 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 that game um, that's based on real data so that they could say, well, it's a game, but it's real data. And see, so, so for example, with the Alaska uh, game, we created a game called, uh, that was based on co-optition. We know that people have to compete for resources, and that's, that's a good thing. But we also know that you have to cooperate with each other in order to achieve the objectives you've set out to do. Uh, you know, customers and clients don't want to know that one department's not working with the other. They just want to have the service they came there for. And so the game can really bring those things out. So if you're the leader and you see a bunch of people play this game and you say, well, no one's cooperating with each other the way we're going to need to, then why would you spend $25 million trying to implement a reorganization when you know that that's not going to change the way people interact with each other. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's what we're trying to do. Yeah, very well said. I want, I want to go back to a second uh, to that uh, behavioral uh, area that you mentioned. You know, people don't feel safe to speak up. And it seems like, you know, in our 36-plus years of work studying cultures and, you know, using, you know, data to point out areas that, that really need work if, if an initiative is going to be successful – that seems to be a pretty big one. And the larger the organization gets, uh, the more people have a tendency by their nature to be politically correct instead of just 
go to their boss and say, you know, boss, this system isn't going to work because. Yep. And then, uh, you know, we've got all these surface-level uh, surveys where, okay, so we do the uh, best business to work for survey, and the manager finds out that my people don't feel I'm a good communicator. Well, if you have if you have an approval culture where people are in the habit of not speaking up and smiling and thumbs up but not really telling the truth, uh, and he goes and asks them, well, guys, what can I do to be a more effective communicator? They give him a lot of benign warm and fuzzy kind of conversation, but no real salient, you know, what does it take to change? How do you, how do you recommend that folks get past that afraid to speak up type of scenario and enter into a more uh, prolific, transparent, not just talking about transparency, but being transparent, you know, in a corporate environment? How do we bridge that one? Well, I think that is um, uh, maybe the holy grail here in terms of change. Um, because there's all sorts of reasons why people won't necessarily be transparent. Um, so where we like to start, and there probably are different starting points, but what works for us um, is really building a sense of ownership. And, of course, that, you know, what that means for a lot of people is, you know, financial. But what we're talking about here is psychological ownership. So psychological ownership as opposed to or in addition to financial ownership. Is it either or or both? Yeah, it, it could be both. Okay. Uh, yeah. But it, it sounds like, in listening to you, and it sounds like what you're saying is the psychological ownership is the real key, and then you can have right. financial ownership but no psychological ownership. Right. Is, is that true? Okay. Right. Oh, right. yeah, absolutely. Okay, keep That's going. We're on a really good yeah. subject here. All right, so, so um, if... If someone steps on my property and does something, and I go, well, you know, this is my property. Um, I need to take a stand or kind of educate them why they shouldn't be building the fence on my part of the property. I, you know, I'm going to do that. I'll, you know, try to do that respectfully um, because I own it. And what we find in a lot of organizations is that there's just a bunch of renters. And see, once you have a renter, a renter is not going to be transparent with you. A renter is going to bring the rental car back, and, uh, you know, this has been fun. I've been driving it 120 miles an hour off-road, and now I'm going to bring it back. And, um, well, how is the car? Everything work okay? Sure. Um, if I own something, if I own it, I'm going to, I'm going to take a stand. I'm going to be, I'm going to be more open. I'm going, to, I'm going to defend my position. I'm going to, I'm going to clarify what needs to be done. And what we find, if you look at great service cultures, there is a deep sense of ownership that exists. And so what you want to try to do is build ownership to build transparency. You can't just jump ahead and say, I want this to be transparent, so we're going to set up a system where people can share their ideas. If I don't feel a sense of ownership, I don't have a purpose for sharing the ideas. And so I want to, I want to, I want to create that. So... You know, in, in um, one healthcare system, just to give you a concrete example, um, that hand, you know, today, you know, when you go into hospitals, we're trying to monitor people washing their hands because we know that infections and diseases get transferred that way. Yep. Right. So, a group of people walk into a surgical suite that have, they're all suits and ties, and they're all big donors. And there's a young woman sitting there, who's probably 23 years old. She turns around and asks the CEO if they washed her hands. CEO says, yes, we did right before we came in, but thank you for asking. She said, would you mind doing it in front of me? And the CEO looks looks at the donors who were kind of like going, really? And says, we'd be happy to. Now, in that moment, that young technician 
with her CEO, by the way, it's probably about twelve to 15,000 employees in this healthcare system, it's not a little mom and pop shop, has turned around and confronted the, the, the top leader respectfully and said, you're in, you're on my land, did you wash your hands? And by the way, it was the CEO who started the initiative to create a safe culture. Yeah. And a safe culture is being transparent, saying, look, just wash your hands, you know? Yeah. Yeah, that's that's a behavior that any well-meaning COO would give their right arm for. And so, you know, it, it, getting that sense of ownership to me is really pivotal. So you, you're building that that connection between the leadership and the people that they're leading. You're building that into the culture and climate. And you know, a lot of people will come from organ, other organizations and go, you know. Um, I'm used to not telling people what I really think. And so are you really sure? So you got to work at that. So, look, you own this. In fact, I'm holding you accountable for this. And if it's not good news, we have to hear that. And it's, you know, it's endemic in organizations that fail at change, that people, people know it's not working. You know, I mean, you, you were describing going into an organization. So you can go into an organization for a day or two, and you'll find out things about why the change is not going to work. Because you're an outsider and people feel that they can trust you and yep. in confidence. And, yep. you know, I'm a quirky professor from the University of Washington, so I guess I can trust this guy. And and they tell you all sorts of things that they don't turn around and tell the people they're working with. And usually it's because they haven't been treated. Um, not the only reason. I don't want to oversimplify it. Um, but they don't feel like owners. Right. Yeah, so, 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 so true. All right, we're going into our last break, and uh, we you've been listening to the inimitable wisdom of Dr. Bruce Avolio from Foster School of Business and Steve Gander. Uh, we'll be right back. Play 1180 AM. Remember Ross Perot, the Texas millionaire who ran for president in the early 90s? Did you realize that he's built multiple companies that sold for billions? Each of his companies held a strong values-based culture. We interviewed his CFO and COO. His insightful comments on the role of culture in business are posted on the Culture News blog at excellentcultures.com. Take a look. You'll gain wonderful insights to building your own excellent cultures on excellentcultures.com. You can also follow us at XLNT Cultures or Facebook slash Excellent Cultures. Off-the-cuff management is old school at the very least. With culture at the root of every business problem or success, data-driven strategic leadership is where today's best businesses are focused. No one knows that better than Excellent Cultures. After 35 years, they are the Northwest's premier strategic leadership firm. Excellent Cultures has the expertise to read the soul of your business and generate abundance. Take the free BizCulture MRI or ask the experts at excellentcultures.com. As an executive, CEO, or business owner, do you find yourself struggling with work-life balance and achieving your goals at work and home? Are you overwhelmed in your workload and feel important things aren't getting done? Our coaches specialize in helping leaders like you overcome challenges and build a plan to recenter their life, to achieve the balance and success you've always hoped for in your business and your personal life. Ask the experts at Excellent Cultures about the right plan for you.
We're back with Biz Culture Matters on Clay 1180 AM and Dr. Bruce Abolio of the Foster School of Business at the University of Washington. Uh, Bruce, right before the break, uh, you were really talking about the criticality of building ownership uh, of a concept of a project, of a process, as a behavioral component of a culture into an organization. And you, you, know, you gave us an example of how you know, owners uh, act differently and respond differently than rent- renters do. Uh, and then you further went on to you know, give us an example of, of what happened in a healthcare organization where you know, you've got people four levels maybe below a COO or a CEO speaking up and, you know, confronting leaders in a very positive yet respectful way, which is a behavior that is, is, is I find is just absolutely paramount, completely critical to any successful change initiative. How, how in the world can leaders foster that kind of, of behavior in their organizations? Because typically what happens is, you know, we talk about transparency, we post transparency as a value, uh, but talking about it and living it uh, are two different things. I uh, was having a debate uh, a few weeks ago with a, a COO of a technology organization that actually decided that they were going to take confidential surveys out of their regime because one of their, their values was transparency, and they thought that taking, you know, away from their people the opportunity to speak candidly in a safe way would enhance more transparent behavior. Is that the right way to do it, or are there better ways to create that that uh, behavior, that spirit of of bold transparency, for lack of a better way to describe it? Well, you know, I think there's probably a number of different right ways depending upon where you're starting. You know, with 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 the organization, some organizations may be ready to do that. Um, you know, I think that. For some others, that would be a leap too far. Um, but let me let me let me talk about um, it's the mindset, and then there's the behavior. So, someone who is um, high in a sense of ownership, uh, they they identify with whatever they're providing to the clients they're working with. And so, you know, you, you, you ever go into a store, you know, you're buying some some kind of equipment. And you're talking to somebody, and they are an avid, you know, uh, uh, hobbyist in the area, or you know, you see they're wearing the clothes that they're selling, and you just know that they believe in it. You know, it's so much a part of who they are, and 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 that's that's one of, that's to me a very high level of ownership. Um, you start with first saying, "What are you accountable for?" And you have to be very clear about that. Um, and I think that the that the leaders have to be accountable accountable for one, following through and being consistent. I mean, absolutely consistent, which is part of the problem oftentimes that why people aren't as transparent um, or trustworthy, uh, or tr- trusting, I'm sorry, is that they don't feel that they can be because there's been, there's been too many inconsistencies. And so people today look for that in leaders. If you look at you know what's happening in terms of perceptions of leaders around this country, they expect leaders to be inconsistent. It's almost a, you know, a, a, a starting point. And so you got to make sure that you're absolutely consistent. Here's here's my principle. This is what I believe in. This is what I'm going to hold myself and you accountable for. And do it, and keep doing it until someone says, "Got it, got it, got it." You know, be, you know, be redundant. The other thing is, leaders have to be more vulnerable than the people that they work with. And a lot of leaders, I always find it interesting when 
you know, CEOs of companies have to get the questions in advance before they go out there and talk to their employees. You find that interesting? Yeah. You're the CEO of an or- a large organization. Do you really need the questions in advance? And everybody knows that that's happening. So it's orchestrated. So it projects out to everybody. I guess they don't want it to be really transparent. More importantly, they're not willing to be vulnerable. And so vulnerability is, is, is kind of the fuel that drives trust. Uh, the definition of trust is the willingness to be vulnerable without oversight. All right. So I would like people to feel that they could trust me without oversight, and I can trust them. An owner you can trust because they know why they're doing it and why it's important. And plus, it would be impossible for them to do it otherwise because it's who they are. So unless you're willing to be vulnerable and put yourself out there um, and allow people to, to challenge and, and you to set, set it up so that they can challenge, um, if you go back to the original topic of change, the reason why change doesn't work is that the leadership is typically uh, oftentimes not willing to be vulnerable, to kind of open up and say that they're going to make some mistakes along the way and they're going to need to know um, when that happens and they're going to need to uh, hold people accountable. Give us that definition of trust one more time. I thought that was just brilliant. Trust trust is the willingness uh, to be vulnerable to someone else without oversight. So um, I'm willing to go along with what you're saying. I don't have to kind of follow through on it because I know that your intentions are right. I know that um, I can trust you. So since the world typically doesn't operate in that space, you have to really work to that. Yeah. And you'll find in organizations where they have tremendous service, there's going to be a much higher level of trust. Um, what you've got to do is, is you've got to step back and, and build the conditions. So there's, there's two parts to this. One is more transactional. It's conditional trust. Okay, let me lay it out for you guys and gals. This is kind of the way things need to work. Here's how it's going to work. Let's just work to that kind of protocol. And you do that over and over and over again. And then at some point, Someone says, you know, I get this. I trust you. Um, I don't really need to follow up anymore, or there needs to be no more oversight, because I, I trust what you're going to do. And if you've ever worked with somebody that kind of comes to your house, does work at your house, they show up every time, they're on time, they clean up, they, they do it according to what they said they were going to do it, the workmanship is great quality, um, you come to trust them. Yeah. You don't need a contract oftentimes the second, third time around because you know that they're going to deliver based upon what they've already done. So the that's ba- the kind of trust. That's so the kind of trust we're talking yeah, about. Yeah, that's awesome. So the basics are basically do what you say you're going to do, and if you're a leader, be willing to be held accountable yourself for what it is you're asking your people to be held accountable for. Even a bit higher standard than what you're expecting from others because it will bring them into that space. And the reason why I say that is because we, we tend to have, uh, we, we may start with the more negative perceptions of leaders today because, you know, our news loves to put those people out there that are saying, you know, I didn't smoke crack. Well, I did smoke crack. I didn't buy crack. Well, I did buy crack. And I'm just thanking our Canadian colleagues for giving us a break here from our politicians. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It wasn't that a breath of fresh air? So um, we're 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 really getting into some great, powerful stuff here that is so significant for leaders. We definitely want to have you back on the show again, Bruce. As we kind of uh, you know wind down to the close of the show, um, 
Can you put your coach's hat on and just uh, give some advice, you know, give some fatherly advice to leaders who are looking to, to build a culture of transformational change, to build a culture of trust, to build a culture where, you know, uh, leaders are all about doing what they say they're going to do. What advice can you give to folks of how they go from where they are to get there? Well, whatever advice I'm giving here, I'm working on it myself. Um, so that's I, I, that's I, great I, advice to start with. <laughs> so uh, yeah, there's no there's no uh, perfection at this end. That's for sure. Um, you know, it's it, uh, it, it. There's a few things. One is um, trying to make the assumption that people don't come to work to screw things up, to be cynical. To you know, to to undermine. Um, I mean, there's a few that slip through the selection, uh, you know, cut. But they, people don't come that way. So the reason that they're be- behaving that way is that someone else has quote unquote sort of trained them to do that. And so part of it is is trying to work with groups to say this is that's not the way I want things to be here. Uh, second is along with that is just you know suspend judgment. Um, it may look like people are acting in ways that are against what you're trying to do, but they usually have a fairly good reason why they're doing that. Um, so try to suspend judgment, step back, and see if you could figure out, you know, it's back to that awareness, figure out what's going on, and, and, and try to get an understanding. The third is, once you lay out what you're going to do, just do it. I mean, s- stick to the principle. Um, if you screw up, fix it. Uh, it's not that hard to do. Just fix it, move on. And, 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 you know, you'll start to build that sort of conditional trust uh, that people can come to expe- expect. Look, we are, human beings have to figure out why something caused something, and so they'll explain it, whether it's based on real data or hearsay or story, whatever it is. And so you want to be the one who creates, you know, why things uh, happen the way they do in a leadership role to explain to people. Um, and, and don't worry about, I don't care how smart you are, but don't worry about repeating, being redundant, keep doing it over again. Uh, people will tell you at some point, I got this. You, you absolutely have got me to understand this um, and, and, and appreciate that. And if you look you know, through, you said to be a you know, coach here, look at the great coaches throughout history. Um, they continue to kind of focus on um, things that, that were just core principles, uh, in terms of the way they, they behaved. Thank and those you. are the leaders, by the way, we most respect. Uh, anyhow. Absolutely. Nope. What a great comment. Thank you, know. you Dr. Ervolio. We appreciate your time. Uh, it was nice to talk to you guys. Stay with it. Keep repeating it until they tell you, I've got that one. That's it. All right. we got to sign off, guys. Ask the experts at excellentcultures.com. We love having conversations with you. If you want to get a hold of Dr. Bruce Avolio at the Foster School of Business at UW, you can look at our Twitter account right now, at XLNT Cultures. And uh, we've given you a link on how to get a hold of Dr. Bruce at the UW. We will be back next week. Biz Culture Matters on Clay 1180 AM. Signing off. 